I'm Kirby Falk, and this is the Kirby Method Podcast. This is the podcast for former athletes looking for something they love as much as their sport, whether it be a career, hobby, side gig, or new exercise routine. This is the Kirby Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Kirby. Hi team, I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm excited because today I have the opportunity to speak with a former pro tennis player, Katie Pooler. Katie, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, let's jump right in. So can you give us a quick backstory of your athletic career? Yeah, um, let's see. So I'll start uh, back when I started. I started tennis around the age of four, um, so super early. Um, and it was actually kind of a accident. My dad was really into golf at the time. He had a tea time to make and wanted to drop me off in the kids' golf camp clinic, uh, but it was full. And they had a spot open in the tennis camp, so they were like, you can put her in the tennis. And he's like, yeah, sure, I need to make my tea time. Um, and apparently the story goes, I enjoyed it and wanted to go back. Um, so I continued playing kind of a couple days a week, mainly in group clinics from like four to seven. The local club pro had approached my parents and said, oh, we think your daughter has some talent and I'd really like to give her private lessons. Uh, my mom thought this lady's definitely just after our money and like she doesn't need private lessons. Um, back then you would get these tournament entry blanks that would come in the mail telling you about a tournament, you sign up for it. Um, so my mom got one and it was for a tournament in Fallbrook where my grandmother lived. And she said, okay, well, let's just see like what she's talking about and how it goes. Um, so I played my first tournament at seven. I ended up winning the tournament. Um, vividly remember like coming home, holding my trophy in my hand. I was so proud. Um, and then that's when my mom thought like, okay, yeah, maybe she does have something here. Um, so I started taking some private lessons around seven and that's when I really dedicated myself. I started playing every day, all day. Um, so pretty much from after school until dinner time. Um, and started to really, you know, watch uh, the matches on TV and idolize Steffi Graf, wanted to be like her when I grew up. Um, and then at the age of nine, I was one of the best players in the state of California. Um, and I received my first full sponsorship from Prince Rackets. I thought that was really cool that I had, you know, Prince shoes and the whole outfit, the whole nine, stenciled rackets. Um, and then, yeah, 10 with top players in the country. 12, I received my first uh, college scholarship offer. Um, and then at the age of 15, I had to decide if I was gonna go pro or go to college. Um, my coach was approached by a man who ran the Italian Tennis Federation um, at a tournament called Orange Bowl, which is in Florida. It's like a really large tournament, kind of, uh, it's a grade A, which means it's similar to like a US Open or Wimbledon as far as uh, the level. And um, basically had offered that he would fund my tennis for uh, a two-year period of time. Um, and, but there was a stipulation basically that if I was to get injured, then everything would be like voided. And at the time I did have a really bad shoulder. Um, so luckily with my coach and my parents, we decided that college would be the best route. Um, and then I went to Arizona State. Um, chose going to ASU really because uh, they had a prestigious program. They were always ranked in the top 20 but they were never really like that top team. Um, and for me, I have this mentality of kind of not wanting to be a part of like a system or a well-oiled machine. I wanna be one of the people that helps to create that machine. 
Um, and so I think, you know, if you look at some of the other top tennis teams, it's like you go in, you start at the bottom, you work your way up, you kind of know the system. Um, I wanted to, to break a system. So I went to ASU, they had never won a national championship for team or at that time uh, individual players. And my senior year, my doubles partner and I won uh, a national championship, which was definitely one of my proudest accomplishments. Um, and then after my senior year, I always knew pro tennis was the next thing. So I actually, I missed my college graduation. I didn't go to it. I was uh, flying to Portugal for my first pro tournament uh, where I played, I played on the tour for about a year and a half or so um, before stopping and going into some other things and actually returning and playing for another year later on. Um, and then I did a lot of coaching. I was in natural progression, so I coached some junior players. I lived in Hawaii for a year and I coached a lot of the wealthy businessmen and their families. Um, and then I also coached uh, college tennis as well. I think that's wow. my summary. I like the summary. <laughs> I think my favorite part is that you uh, were supposed to golf. And yeah. uh, the reason you started tennis because there was no space or no room for golf in yeah. the golfing world. So, And a national championship. Yeah. Very proud of that. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to jump into our main focus. So as you think about your transition out of tennis mm -hmm. and not being an athlete anymore, mm -hmm. uh, what was the biggest challenge that you faced? Yeah, um, it was really a challenging time. Um, and I think, you know, especially looking back, um, kind of realizing that I wasn't really in a great place. Um, for me, I think the biggest thing was actually like around my identity. So. Because I started tennis at such a young age um, and was good at it, I got a lot of attention and recognition for being a tennis player. Um, and I remember, I mean, whether it was at school or going to different events, uh, even the way my parents would oft often introduce me, the first thing that would come up is, Katie's a tennis player. Um, and so I think I really learned to cling and hold to that identity because that's where I got a lot of my self-worth, my confidence, um, again, you know, recognition. And when I was no longer a tennis player, um, it's kind of like I lost, I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was. And so I think a lot, many years after that, it was figuring out, um, like, who is Katie? Um, you know, what do I like? What do I dislike? What kind of, what do I have passion for? A lot of people would say, you know, just go follow your passion. <laughs> like, I don't know what my passion is. Um, you know, it was tennis, I think. So, but now I don't have that anymore. Um, and I think also the second thing was like figuring out what I was actually going to do with my life. Like I all, tennis always gave me a direction. It always gave me a plan. I could, you know, set my day around that ultimate goal of, you know, winning the US Open, being number one in the world. Once that was removed as well, it's kind of like, what are my goals? What, is, what am I waking up for every day? Um, and like, what am I actually trying to accomplish? So, I think losing that structure and um, kind of set path was really difficult. Those are two challenges I personally experienced, and those are also two challenges I hear from a number of athletes that I've, yeah. I've spoken with. I think both the identity piece and then going from having a very clear structure and routine, very black and white, to all of a sudden, it's a blank slate. You can do whatever you want. Like that's 
that the opportunities are endless, but also just very overwhelming. Or how do you even like start to figure out? Like as you talked about, people said to you, "Follow your passion," uh, and you're like, "I don't even know what I'm passionate about." Mm -hmm. So. I want to dive into how you kind of figure that out. Mm -hmm. Before we do, I'd love to ask, when that transition was happening and you had this total loss of identity and this total loss of structure, can you describe like just like how you felt and like kind of your emotional state, mental state, like what that really felt like? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that like the clinical word for it is probably depression. <laughs> Um, and I don't think at the time I knew that or wanted to know that. But again, looking back, it's pretty clear. Um, I started to, you know, became sedentary. So I went from a really active lifestyle, obviously, to not working out at all. The thought of going to the gym, it was kind of like almost like painful reminders, I guess. Um, and again, I didn't feel like there was a purpose. Like before, it was you go to the gym because, you know, I need to get quicker to get to the ball quicker or improve the, the speed on my serve. Um, but now, like, what do I need to work out for? Um, so I gained weight, uh, my eating habits declined, um, I started drinking a lot more. Um, I was also working in the, the wine country, so a bottle of wine became, like a night became a staple. Um, not good. Um, and I think really lonely. Um, you know, I didn't have many people to talk to that I also think could understand or relate what I was going to, going through. Um, and I really felt, yeah, like I was just kind of going through it on my own and almost um, embarrassed about it, like that I, I maybe the feelings I was feeling, um, you know, weren't natural. So yeah, I kind of, I started to um, kind of almost become more standoffish from friends and family, um, not picking up phone calls, like literally just clearing them because I didn't feel like talking. Um, a lot of time by myself, um, kind of like isolating myself, and um, yeah, I think honestly just in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, in a lot of ways it's funny because like, you know, if I meet somebody and they find out about my tennis history, um, you know, they congratulate me on it and they say, you know, think I had a successful career, um, and I did go pro, so in a lot of ways I did accomplish my dreams. But like from my at the time I was seven, it was all about becoming number one in the world and winning the U.S. Open, and I didn't come close to that. So I think there was also a lot of like almost shame that I've spent all this time, I dedicated my whole life to these goals, and I didn't accomplish them. Mm -hmm. So I think also having to work around, um, yeah, the sense of being also like a failure. Absolutely, and <laughs> uh, I. I uh at least from my own personal experience, you talk about like feeling like a failure and not necessarily living up to your original goals and dreams. I personally, like I played professional soccer and my goal was like, hey, I'm gonna try to make it uh, and see if I have a shot and can make it on the, the full national team. Uh, and I think I was very close. Uh, I had a career ending injury and then the league folded and I didn't quite get there, right? And so like trying to work through what can you celebrate? Like, is it okay to celebrate the successes you did have, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it tainted by, you know, I originally wanted this particular goal or dream or get to this place. Uh, and I just, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, what does that look like? And uh, thanks for sharing, like, how, like, you're feeling in your emotional and mental state. I think 
something that you said, I feel like there are, my guess is that there are others feeling the same way in terms of, are these feelings normal? Like feeling like I shouldn't be feeling like I want to be isolated or not con not connecting with people or not wanting to work out or like just feeling like a failure. Uh, I think how we start changing that is by sharing like you just did in terms of here's how I felt and that's totally okay or that's totally normal. I think that's part of like the steps in terms of moving forward. Absolutely. That. Yeah. So when you think about that, like you're in this place and just like you know, feeling isolated and lonely and feeling like a failure and like not sure what to do and just feeling unmotivated. Like, where do you even start? Or like how, like, what did that, what did that look like for you in terms of trying to kind of get out of that? Yeah. I think kind of the opposite of, you know, isolating myself. Um, it got to a point where I, I recognized and realized that I was removing myself from uh, my closest circle, um, and I had to reverse that. And so I actually started to, you know, reach out to them more and also open up about my feelings. Um, and again, I, I think, you know, a lot of my friends and family probably couldn't relate, but they at least tried to. Um, and I think a lot of it is just for me to speak it out loud. Um, to help, that actually helps me to recognize and state my truths of what I'm feeling. Um, and it was just a lot of, honestly, long, hard self-work. Um, I, you know, I've seen many different therapists um, to, you know, talk about my feelings and also try to figure out, you know, my purpose and what is next. Um, I've worked with life coaches. Um, I'm working with somebody now, I don't even know really what you would classify her as, but like a mentor. Um, so I think a lot of it is, putting yourself out there and opening yourself up to talk to people about what you're going through. Um, and I think starting to ask yourself also a lot of tough questions. And for me, I, I can be very heady. So if I try to like work through something in my own mind, I don't really work through it. And so for me, it was actually writing it out, starting to journal more. Um, and literally just like, even journaling was difficult for me because I didn't know where to start. So I would just start with kind of like, what am I feeling right now? Um, but that also started to help me to connect kind of thoughts and feelings. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did a lot of reading, um, and a lot of talking to other people, also just about, you know, career paths, kind of how did they get to where they wanted to go, started to think about uh, who, who do I want to be like, so kind of role models. I, you know, my role models had always just been tennis players. Like I said, Steffi was, you know, the number one. Um, so like who are, who are people that are living their lives now that uh, can be an example of kind of where I want to go and thinking about the qualities they have and trying to enable those. I love those tangible examples of things that you did that really helped or those tangible tactics. So what I'm hearing is, hey, like pick a mentor, pick, pick someone that you want to like be like or aspire to be at least, you know, parts of them. Uh, and potentially encouraging um, athletes right now to pick a non-athletic mentor, right? Or a mm -hmm. role model. I love how you talked about having different like discussions and talks with other folks and trying to learn like what's their career path like and how do they handle certain situations. I think it can be so powerful to share and, and to learn from others in that way. And then also love the journaling. I'm a huge fan of journaling and I think 
what I've personally experienced and heard from others too is that it can get really swirled up there in your head and when you actually put pen to paper in terms of just what am I thinking like what's my mm-hmm. thought download right now like what am I feeling it helps kind of release some of that and then you can see what's going on uh, and then move forward I guess totally there. yes and going back to being active helped a lot um, and just kind of figuring out what that looked like for me because before again it was always very specific to tennis but actually like learning like oh swimming is enjoyable especially when it's a nice day outside um, and I don't have to like super push myself um, but you know you can go and get a good workout and just I found the more active that I got the kind of clearer my mind got again mm-hmm. um, and so and I pushed that off for the longest time kind of like I don't need to be active I spent my whole life in the gym I spent my whole life working out but now it's in a different way. So picking up other sports have been a lot of fun. Um, I've gotten into like Peloton. So, you know, just getting a good sweat, I've noticed has really helped uh, with my mentality. So it sounds like physical exercise, even though you're not playing tennis anymore, still has a lot of benefits other than training for, you know, to be a the number one in the world in tennis. Right? Totally. Think about clearing, clearing your mind and improved uh, feelings and just general like well-being and higher feeling and thinking. A hundred percent. Yeah. How did you even, I guess, like, how did you even start in terms of like exercise? You're like, how did you even decide like what to try or like how to transition from hanging out on the couch? Yeah. I mean, I love sports. Like I, it's been my biggest passion forever. I just, I love sports. Um, and so and actually, typically, I actually enjoy a lot of other sports besides tennis probably more. Um, so it was fun just to go and like pick up and play new sports. So I found a lot of joy in that, where I was able to compete again, um, get a good workout, but without actually like being on a treadmill where you're like counting down the minutes. It was fun. Um, got me around people and like-minded people. So um, I just kind of started finding like pickup games or some leagues, signed up for that. Um, and then honestly, a lot of it, is um, in my partner. So she's very, very, very active um, and it's a huge part of her lifestyle. And um, more so actually the like endurance type of thing. So running, cycling, like triathlons, which I always said I'm never gonna do like a marathon or anything, like I don't, not even a 5K, I hate running. Um, but it's been fun because she's been challenging me and we've been doing long bike rides and I really enjoy it. And also I, I notice again the clarity in my mind uh, as I'm riding across the Golden Gate Bridge. It's like, not only is this beautiful um, you know, like scene, but at the same time, it just feels so good. So kind of really tapping into like, how do I feel during these things? Um, and yeah, actually we just did our my first triathlon a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. How'd it go? I mean, I finished. So I was proud of that. Um, that was literally my only goal, but I definitely finished towards the end. Um, but it's fun. I could see, I could definitely see myself doing another one. Because um, again, I like that there is that competitive aspect. Um, so yeah, I think to kind of go back and answer your question, I just think it's also like who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. We always hear that, right? You kind of you're the average of the five people you hang with, or you're you know you really take on the characteristics of who you circle yourself with. Um, and so I think it's just been also being strategic um, as far as who I spend my time with, specifically in a partner. And it sounds like from a pure exercise uh, perspective, a potential thing or tactic people could try is who's an accountability partner for you? Absolutely. Uh, And like who like can help inspire like someone who's in your close circle 
who can help inspire and motivate who's into triathlons or who's into playing pickup soccer uh, and those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, everybody has something that they're trying to make progress on or pick up for the first time or habit they've been trying to build. So uh, I think that there, it wouldn't be difficult to find somebody in your circle um, who is also trying to improve upon something and literally just making it like a daily text, a daily phone call. My best friend and I did that for a little bit and it got to the point where I was like, oh damn, she's calling. <laughs> and I, had, I hadn't done it. Um, so it actually, that peer pressure started to help. Um, and probably without that, I don't know if I would have gotten started. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend an accountability partner. Great. And how do you think about, like does that, how you found things you like to do exercise wise, does that relate at all to figuring out your identity and like who you are uh, in life post sport? Or how does the, when you think about your journey and figuring out like, who am I as Katie now that I'm no longer a pro tennis player? Like, how do you start to like navigate that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and not one I really thought about, but kind of as you said that I started to like, kind of feel, um, like feel the answer. But basically like, Yes. Um, so like what I've noticed is um, like I enjoy things that are actually yeah, like a little bit slower, whereas I used to always be very like fast paced. So I wanted things that were like speed, quick um, and almost more like jolting to the body. And now I'm finding that I actually really what I really enjoy and my body really needs is, you know, like yoga, Pilates, things that are actually not about, um, you know, getting ripped or losing weight or being in the best shape, but more so that's actually uh, like better for my body. So it's decreased cortisol. I don't know. I don't interrupt you. Like, yeah. And just to feed off of what you were saying, what I found from my personal experience is that I'm very good at being in the go, 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 go mode, like very like hard, fast, like jolting, both from an exercise component as well as my day-to-day -day life of like checking things off the to-do list, like go mode, like getting stuff done, go, 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 go. And what I find is that that mode is really helpful in some situations. It also has an increased cortisol in your general like body. Totally. So when you think about stress relief and the importance of Love, like the importance of having lower levels of stress when you think about your own longevity and like well-being as a human, I've really had to work on, I'm great at that go, 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 go mode. How can I learn how to flip the switch when I need to yes. or when it better serves me to be able to just be mellow and move with ease and just like that kind of calm, more present, more being more present. Yeah. And I find that uh, similar to what you're saying is that yoga for me has been an amazing gateway or doorway like to that journey. I now meditate like very regularly, not like an hour a day. I started with like five minutes a day and now I'm up to like 15 or 20, like most days. Yep. Uh, and then how can I cultivate more of that even in my like, can I give myself five more minutes to like walk to this place or get to this place so I don't feel like rushed and like go, 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 go. Absolutely. Those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious how that resonates or how that relates to your experience. I mean, yeah, spot on. Um, and similarly, like I've taken up meditation and I've not, I didn't intentionally fight it forever. It was kind of this one, it was like something that I just, I would wake up and say I should meditate and it was kind of like, oh, and I'll do it later. It became like a chore versus actually just something to like do and enjoy. 
Um, so I found, I found that to be really helpful, not just in the stillness and like the calming of the mind, but as I go throughout the day, it makes it easier for me to actually catch myself in those thoughts and catch the patterns of my thoughts to where I can actually go, oh, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm overthinking or I'm just like, that's a negative thought or whatever it might be that I catch myself in. And now I'm able to kind of like brush it aside and regain my, my presence or focus. Um, so meditation has been huge. Um, which I'm really curious, like, do you, like, kind of, do you use an app? Do you use music? Do you just use silence? Like, what's your style? I think meditation is such a buzzword right now and Mm -hmm. mindfulness. And so I think it's so interesting, like, for us today, like, we're diving into, like, what do the actual details and tactics actually look like? And so I think of meditation as one like exactly spot on to what you said where one like it helps me gain that skill where i can drop in and be present as well as still at the same time like and learning how i can do that throughout my day Mm -hmm. and then exactly what you said in terms of i catch myself i I think one of the goals of meditation, right, is that you're able to distance yourself from your thoughts. So you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Your brain has, I think Tarbrock quoted like 64,000 thoughts a day or 74,000 thoughts a day is the average human, um, what happens to the average human. And like, you are not your thoughts. And so what meditation has really given me is a better distance between my thoughts and my actual self, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. And then like related to that during the day I'll find myself being like oh I'm caught up in a thought about this or I'm caught up in a negative thought spiral about this and I find that I still get caught up in the spiral but the time for me to to meet for me to recognize that I'm in the spiral is much shorter now and continues to get shorter like the more I meditate and make that a daily practice and I also find like the there's just more of a pause yeah. uh, from like my reaction like I'm able to respond rather than react and for me personally like what meditation looks like and I'd love to hear what it looks like for you is I started with guided meditations uh, I know that there are some free apps out there who have guided meditations I think calm is one app that has like a seven-day free trial I think headspace as well uh, they have guided meditations I'm a huge fan of Tara Brock who is a PhD in psychology and is in the Buddhism world around meditation and mindfulness and she has a free podcast and she has guided meditations most of them are typically like at least 15 to 20 minutes so that might be too long if you're just getting started in meditation Uh, and I like tell people I'm like if you can just meditate for two minutes a day yeah like two minutes a day where just you're just trying to like you're just you're not trying to clear your mind of thoughts because we're going to have thoughts for me, it's about just recognizing, you're just practicing over and over again. When you have those thoughts, you're bringing yourself back to your breath, right? And you're like bringing yourself back and like recognizing you're in those thoughts and you just keep keep practicing that. So now that I do it a little more frequently, sometimes I find that I just want silence and I can guide my own meditation. Other days I crave having Tara in my ear, mm-hmm. <laughs> like talking through that. So it just depends on the day. And I don't do it every single day, mm-hmm. but I will say I'm probably doing it, you know, five to seven days yeah. every week, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm about the same as far as cadence, and I used to beat myself up if I missed a day, and that's something I've been really working on as well, is like not beating myself up. 
So um, I think if you kind of set more like a target, like five days in the week, and you happen to do seven, great. Um, and if you do four, that's okay too. Exactly. Yeah. That's a big and a big theme for me in terms of not beating myself up. Do you think that's an athlete specific? I do. Thing? I mean, I do. I don't know. Um, you know, it's not to say all athletes do it and all non-athletes don't, um, but I think it is a common thing on athletes because we've always been our harshest critics. We've always, and we've had to be, to get especially to an elite level, like yes, you have your coaches and maybe your parents who push you, but at the end of the day, if you don't push yourself, like you're not going to make it. Um, so I think that we're, yeah, we're taught and uh, we're constantly in critique mode. Um, I know I, I w definitely was, uh, to a fault, um, to where, I mean, it was like every shot I hit, you know, that I had something to say about it. Um, so it's not, I think, a trait that, um, I think it's some, it's in some ways served its purpose to help, you know, to get to the high level, but I think it also is quite detrimental. Um, yeah. I find beating yourself up that, just fascinating to me because I think my uh, my thinking around it is it's a natural tool that our brain just kind of automatically has in terms of like hey like I need to progress and so like the best way to do that is beating myself like beating myself up being like that's not good enough you need like in order for me to get to my goals I need to like have that stick right and yep. like be pushing myself <laughs> yes. along and that can be both uh, athletic goals I also find working in the health coaching world around uh, folks trying to lose weight or trying to eat healthier, exercise more, they naturally like just want to beat themselves up, like beat yep. their way into the weight that they want to be or like the healthy habits that they want to have. And I think for me, it's like taking a lot of work, self-work in terms of recognizing that and then reframing it of like, actually when I celebrate and give myself a pat on the back of what's going really well, like that is phenomenal, Kirby. Like you meditated for 10 minutes yesterday, yeah. right? <laughs> or like you said you were gonna journal and you journaled. And, or like, hey, like you said you were going to do these five things today and you did it. Like when I actually celebrate what's going well and coming from a place of this is going well, I did this and I can continue to move forward. For me, that's been like a much more powerful place uh, to operate from. Yeah. And it comes back to the mindfulness. Like I need to be aware of when I am beating myself up because a lot of times it's just been it's just it was just subconscious oh for sure for me and it is I believe you know all energy and energy is momentous so uh, if we're feeding ourselves with the negative thoughts and beating ourselves up like it's going to be very difficult to essentially flip that script and flip the energy around um, so you're probably going to notice that you continue to trend towards that like the negativity um, but I think similar to what you're saying is kind of by celebrating the wins and patting yourself in the back and building yourself up, that energy is also going to be momentous and continue, but towards the kind of direction we want it to go. Um, and I think that's where you start to notice, yeah, more wins and more similar uh, accomplishments. Yes, because you're more confident and you have that positive energy and like, yes, I can do it. And like, if you think that like anything's possible, like, yes. that would be like, like really, I mean, and so I just find like coming from more of that positive mindset and that positive energy compared to like that negative being yourself energy yep. has been so extremely powerful um, for me personally. Yeah. So. I'd love to, I know like the identity 
piece of how you figure out who the heck I am in life post-sport is such a big question and a big bucket. Uh, and it sounds like there are some things that have helped you in terms of finding things you like to do, like from an exercise component, like uh, connecting with you know family and friends and like who's kind of that like close circle around you. Also like that mindfulness component. Uh, can you talk about like for people trying to figure it out right now, like I'm like, you know, trying to figure out their identity and like who they are, what would your advice be in terms of figuring that out? I know it's a very big question. Yeah, huge question. Um, I mean, I think kind of some of the things we've talked about. One, I would implement a mindfulness practice. Um, I think that's really going to start to help you to become aware of your thoughts. And again, you're not your thoughts, but it will... Um, it will help you to understand the things you're feeding yourself all day long and perhaps are believing. Um, so along with journaling, again, I think actually getting it out of the head. Um, reading, actually a book that keeps popping into my mind as we were talking about that is uh, The Power of Now, Eckhart yes. Tolle. Um, I think that book has helped my meditation practice a lot because it was really about you know yeah disassociating from the mind and being like an observer of it. Um, so the kind of combination of that book and meditation, I think, is really helpful. So if somebody was to start with a book, I'd recommend that. Um, but there's a ton out there. Um, yeah, I think talking to others. Um, an exercise that was really powerful for me, I was actually assigned through a meditation women's group that I was in, was we were to reach out to people who knew us the best and also people who were just like acquaintances. So they, they know you, you're friendly, um, but they're not like your best friends. And we were to ask them to uh, list five words that they would use to describe us. Um, and I thought the exercise was really cool because um, it helped me to see, so there, like, there was a lot of repetitive words um, that, you know, from like super, my, my mom basically, and you know, an acquaintance. Um, and I thought that was really cool because there was a lot of things on there that I really want to be, but I kind of feel like I'm not. Oh. And yet, these other people are seeing it. So it helped me with my confidence and kind of seeing like, maybe I am that. So like driven, for instance, is an example. Like many of my friends and family use the word driven. And I do want to, I do want to be a driven person. And I want to be someone who's seen as that and accomplishes my goals. But I think it's easy to beat myself up and tell myself, oh, because I'm not, you know, a billionaire, let's say I'm, I'm not driven. Um, and then it was really interesting to see the things that I had never thought of myself being um, and that others see in me. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I am that. That's cool. So that kind of helped in some ways to shape the identity, um, to see how others are perceiving me and then kind of relate it to how I perceive myself or how I want to be perceived. Um, so, and now on that note, I think just talking, talking to people. Um, I, one thing I'm not afraid to do is reach out to people um, and ask them for a conversation. And so that's something that still to this day I'm, I'm constantly doing. Um, people that have interesting careers or um, maybe were athletes and you know, doing something different, doesn't really matter, but just talking to a lot of people and learning about their paths and their experience. Um, and so just like tactically, so I mentor and work with a lot of like college undergrads, for example, and that's one of my huge pieces of advice is like, hey, like talk to people, like ask them, like take them out to coffee or ask them for 20 minutes on the phone. 
uh, and like learn about like their career and like learn about like their advice and uh, you know their their thoughts and it's all just really good data points and context for you to understand kind of like what are some options moving forward or what do, what do others think. Uh, how do you like if you're gonna get really nitty gritty like in in the weeds like how do you ask someone for time? Yeah, it's hard um, because you know everybody values time the most. Um, for me, uh, kind of from my, my sales experience now, um, one thing I learned is that when you send a message, um, so people feel like however long you write the message, people feel subconsciously like they have to reply in the same length. So one mistake I see a lot of people doing is sending really long messages where they feel compelled to have to tell their entire story and why they want to meet with them and what they want to talk about. Um, and often it might not even get read. And if it does, um, and I think a lot of us can relate to this, where you get a long email and you're kind of like, okay, like I'll reply to this later because I want to give it thought. And then it kind of keeps getting pushed off. And then eventually it's kind of like, well, I haven't replied in two weeks and I don't really know them. So maybe, you know, I'm just not gonna reply. Um, so advice I have is uh, keep your message really short. Um, and you don't need to tell them your whole story. They could even research it probably on their own. Uh, you can point them to a place to research it. Um, so keep your message short and I think always ending with like um, a clear call to action. So meaning like what is your actual, what is your ask? What is your question? Um, and make it easy for them to say yes. So a lot of times I'll even say, um, you know, I'm available all next week between these times and I can meet you anywhere of your choice. Um, so yeah, make it easy for them to say yes and to commit to a time and place. And then I think also do your, do, do your due diligence and be prepared. I think the worst thing is to waste somebody's time, especially when they're doing you a favor. So come prepared, have specific questions that you wanna ask or things you wanna know. Um, and I think also always, you know, always end um, in offering to help them. Um, you know, I, I think that's the best way to learn is by working with others. Um, and a lot of people will find value out of that and maybe they take you up and you have no idea where that leads to. Mm -hmm. I do a similar thing where even if I'm not sure how I can help them, I always at the end of the conversation say, and please like let me know how I can help you or like, and then maybe I might throw an example or two out there. Like if you want to, you know, connect with someone on my LinkedIn or I can connect you to this person yep. or whatever it is. And I love the keep it short. Uh, I think it's about like just saying, you know, who you are, or, like I'm a, you know, former like pro soccer player and I'm really interested in learning more about different career paths and life post sport, like really interested in your particular career path. Can I take you out to coffee for, you know, 30 minutes yep. next week sort of thing. Yep. So totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think kind of last main, uh, can I throw something else out there around the identity piece? Yes. Um, I think one, because one thing I struggled with and I kind of, I guess, want to share if it's helpful to others is I felt like, you know, when it came to who I am and like my purpose in life, like it had to be this, you know, super deep, uh, well thought out, like detailed uh, answer. And I think one of the things that I've realized, I mean, it might get there, but was to actually kind of like, again, give myself a little bit of a break and just kind of, it's okay to go and start high level. And so like one of the big things that was clear to me is like, okay, as far as purpose, one thing I know is like, I'm here to help help others. 
So maybe I don't know exactly what you know capacity yet or the exact definition of what that looks like, but like that's one thing I know for certain. Like I want to make an impact and help others. And then from there, I think then you like as you you know that and you start to um, use kind of that purpose as your driver in the other things you do. It might start it's will start to get more detailed. Um, but I think that approach helped me rather than trying to get detailed first. Um, and not really have like know what that means. I think that's a really good point. Like, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be some huge essay in terms of this is exactly how I want to help people. You can start higher level and saying like, I want to help others, and like, what does that look like? Yeah. So a follow up question would be, how do you identify yourself now? Uh, I knew that was coming. Um, I mean, so I think there's, you know, your initial kind of basic ones as far as, you know, I'm a sister and I'm a partner, I'm a daughter, um, and I'm female. I still do identify myself as an athlete. Um, like, I think I'm just an athlete for life. Um, but I also know that I am really kind, caring, compassionate, sensitive. Um, I am a helper. I get, like, I get my greatest satisfaction when I'm helping um, somebody or something, a cause. Um, I am a nature lover. I love to be outdoors. Um, I'm actually introverted. I think I've learned this and I think it's changed. Um, but I used to think and I was told because I like to talk and I'm good with people, I'm an extrovert. But I've actually found that I very much need my alone time and that's how I kind of recharge my batteries. Um, I am a thinker, I am intellectual in the sense of um, I'm curious and I like to know kind of why with things and I will seek answers. Um, I'm fun and funny and I enjoy like being around similar people who also have a zest for life um, and yeah, and like to have fun. Great, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Uh, so we are uh, out of time, so we're going to wrap up today. I would love to keep talking, so we may have um, future podcasts yeah. <laughs> coming up. But I'd love to uh, just end with some rapid fire, okay. as, as typical. So, you ready? Ready. Okay. First question is, who is an inspirational role model for you? Steve Kerr. What role do sports play in your life post-sports career? Um, my favorite thing to talk about, favorite thing to do, favorite thing to read about, um, and um, kind of play into what I'm doing today. How do you find? How do you define success in life post sport? Um, happiness. I mean, first and foremost, um, but I think it's living life in the flow. So where you really feel like life is working with you and for you, um, and excited to wake up and go through the day um, where you're in control of your time. Any last advice to athletes transitioning out of their sports careers? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, anything that you're feeling, whether good, bad, or maybe you're excited your career's coming to an end or sad, it's all normal. Um, like, talk to other athletes that are going through it. I think you'll find that might be also a good sounding board and somebody for you to work through with that. Um, but I mean, just absolutely first and foremost, find people to talk to. Um, so if it's your coach and you feel comfortable with them, family, um, there's a lot of other support systems out there, um, but you don't have to go through it alone. And it is a tough period, 
But if you start to put a plan into place and uh, prepare, it will help to eliminate, I think, that period of time for you. Great. Well, thanks, Katie, for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.